Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Out now at the Canon Press store is Douglas Wilson's biography of John Knox. Jesus taught that we should beware when all men speak well of us. Few have ever spoken well of John Knox, either in his own lifetime or in the centuries since. Was he excessively harsh and fanatical as his critics have painted him? Or was he appropriately hard and firm as his time and calling required? In John Knox, stalwart courage, Douglas Wilson staunchly defends this reformer, not only lauding his stalwart courage, but also upholding his much-neglected, gentler virtues, love, mercy, tenderness, and humility. You can buy John Knox, Stalwart Courage by Douglas Wilson at canonpress.com today. Welcome to the podcast. This is podcast episode. I'm not sure because I forgot to write down the number of the next one. So this is the next podcast. This is the podcast you should be listening to. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Good to have you here. Also, this uh, this podcast is going to be a little briefer than normal, probably for reasons that are largely not my fault. <laughs> but well, let's just say that some of it might be. So I want to begin by talking about uh, the problem of high tech agrarians. What do I mean by that? Well, I recently went through um, Richard Weaver's marvelous book, uh, Ideas Have Consequences. I've read it, uh, read it before, read it uh, repeatedly before, and have been greatly edified and blessed by it. It's, a, it's just a great book. It's better on diagnosis than it is on uh, uh, solutions, but it's, it's just a great book. And Richard Weaver was a, a Southern writer who was greatly influenced by the Southern agrarians and is very much in sync in this book, very much in sync with their outlook and their writing and their, uh, their take on things. But here's the thing. Here, I'm, I'm listening to this uh, book. I read it in uh, paperback the first uh, few times, but this time I listened to it on Audible. I got the book on Audible and was listening to it. And I, I recently um, got a new truck the old one having perished in a fire, as some of you uh, may have seen. And in my new truck, I've got, this, I've got this system. So I've got Audible on my phone, and I've got this uh, system in the, in the truck that just syncs to the phone whenever I hop in. It syncs to the phone and starts playing the book right where I left off the last time. And so I'm riding around town, listening to Ideas Have Consequences, in great sympathy with what Richard Weaver is teaching me, about the you know the old old time rhythms of life and the way that the modern world has um, distorted and twisted it. But I'm mindful of the fact that I'm listening to Richard Weaver instruct me over a great distance, over many years, through a Bluetooth device that is talking to me out of my truck's dashboard. And this, I think, illustrates the problem with anything that is too purist in its ideology, even if it's the ideology of anti-ideology that is resident at the heart of much of uh, the kind of conservative thought that you'll find in Edinburgh and Richard Weaver and the, the agrarians. Uh, they don't like 
detailed political creeds. They, they are suspicious of ideology. But you have to be aware that anti-ideology can be turned into an ideology as well. And I was no less edified by Weaver's book through listening to it by this means than I would have had I been reading it 50 years ago in, hard, in a hardback edition in a farmhouse uh, that lived, was right next door to Wendell Berry. So one of the things that we have to realize is that the, the world goes on and the way God made the world, the internal structure that, that reflects the, the common sense that God wants us to have when we uh, live in this world is something that can digest technological advance. So, um, for example, what, what is it that makes Johnny Cash want to write songs about locomotives? Remember that when they were first introduced, locomotives were the latest uh, high-tech symbol of the industrial age, the advancing industrial age. But now, we look at locomotives and think of the city of New Orleans, and, and I'll be gone 500 miles until uh, the day is done. So, the, the exhortation here is to hold these things loosely. Take, take what you can from the old-time thinkers. Take what you can from, from the agrarians. But don't, be, don't become a technophobe. Don't have an automatic reaction uh, as though the sin were resident in the technology itself. Always will be Continuing with the podcast, whichever one this is, we come on to hamartiology. So our word for this go-round in hamartiology is daimon, or in English, demon. In the AV, it is rendered as devil in one place, and in the plural, uh, and the plural is used everywhere else, resulting in the translation of devils. So, devil in one place, and the plural, devils. Although devils are separate beings, distinct from human beings, and they are not properly speaking sins, yet their evil nature is very much intertwined and tangled up with the sins of the person who is afflicted with them and by them. All the gospel accounts that use this noun are talking about the possessed man in the Gadarene swine incident. And that reminds me of the Gadarene swine rule. Uh, just because a group is in formation doesn't mean that they know where they're going. Remember that this was the man called Legion because there were so many devils. In Luke, both the singular and the plural are used. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man who had devils, plural, long time and wear no clothes, and neither abode in any house but in the tombs. For he had commanded the unclean spirit, singular, but a different word, to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he brake the bands and was driven of the devil, singular, same word, into the wilderness. That's in Luke eight, twenty-seven and 29. In Matthew's account, there are two demoniacs and multiple devils. So clearly, I, uh, the point I was making earlier is that a daimon is not a separate sin, but the presence of a demon is all tangled up with the sins that the person himself is committing. In Matthew's account, there are two demoniacs and multiple devils, Matthew 8, 31. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. In Mark, it is one man and multiple devils. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. Incidentally, this presents no problem with harmonizing the gospel accounts. How many demoniacs were there? Well, at least two. There's only a problem if Mark said there was one demoniac, no more, and Matthew said that there were two and no less. 
We have two instances of this uh, word being used in the book of Revelation. The first are the frog-like spirits who come out of the mouth of the dragon. Two words are used in combination, spirits of devils. And they go out into the world to incite the kings of the earth and everybody else to go to war. Revelation 16, 14. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The last use comes in Revelation 18, where the corrupt Judaic system is condemned under the name of Babylon. And the same kind of thing is going to happen to the place where she once was that happened to the literal Babylon. She was going to become a haunt for owls and jackals. Revelation 18.2 And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So my book review uh, this time is an old book. It's, um, I don't think currently in print, but I looked on Amazon before I uh, listed it here, and, the, and various used editions are available, and, and you, can, you can get a hold of it. The book is called Farmer Takes a Wife by a gent named Gould, and it is just a wonderful account of farm life in New England. Farm life in New England, uh, probably back uh, near the beginning of the 20th century, when a lot of the old ways were still being practiced. And I believe, if I remember correctly, this is a, a New England farmer who takes a, a, a wife who is from the city. And they, there are a bunch of marvelous accounts of uh, their life on the farm. This is the kind of book that you will bring out uh, after dinner and read selections from it to guests that come by or, or to family. Read, read that, that passage again. One of the best passages, the most striking passage, is an account where the farmer wakes up inexplicably in the middle of the night and goes down to the kitchen, and his wife joins him in the middle of the night in the kitchen, and without saying one word to each other, they both start making a pie. <laughs> and and uh, they, they um, make an apple, I think it's an apple pie, they just start in working on a pie. And nobody says, let's make a pie. They just both know what they're doing. They both get up in the middle of the night. And the, the um, description of, the, of this uh, pie-making, middle-of-the-night pie-making, is just absolutely exquisite. It's just wonderful. Farmer Takes a Wife by Gould, G-O-U-L-D. Mm-hmm.